Just behind the bridge is the roundhouse itself. It was built in the 1840s by Robert Stevenson to house the turntable for his engines. And it was abandoned by the railway and taken up by a wine merchant who used it for a store. In 1960, the wine merchants moved out and the building fell vacant. We can, by discovering bits and pieces of the past, reconstruct them and use them for our purposes in the present. When Arnold Wesker opened it in 1963 as Centre 42, an appeal was launched for 500,000 pounds. This failed, though, and the roundhouse soon became the home of pop concerts. Thank you, everybody, and uh, welcome to the roundhouse. It's, uh, it's a little while since I was here. Quite a little while. This week's one there is Fab. I'm Ed Chen. And I'm John Stone. Well, we finished seven weeks to get back, but we can't go cold turkey, so we're going to wean ourselves off of it slowly. <laughs> Good idea. And then we'll jump right back into it in a couple of weeks <laughs> with the IMAX show and when the Blu-ray comes out. But More to come. So uh, we both are talking about the idea of what the original concept was when they decided to go and play. And that was they were going to do a... a concert at the roundhouse which was an old train roundabout in london that a bunch of groups had played at um pink floyd and led zeppelin so it was known as a a musical venue and so they were going to go in there and since the white album had been released november 22nd they were going to go and they were going to play songs from the white album and do a performance. But what ended up happening is when they got there, they're like, well, let's write some songs. And so the the concept kind of got changed, but uh, you and I were talking about, you know, what do you think that, that concert, that original concept would have been like? I'm not quite sure what Paul McCartney was thinking of because it was September the 14th of 1968 that he did an interview with Melody Maker and he said that the Beatles will be doing a live TV show later in the year. So they were still a month 
from completing, much less two months from releasing the White Album. Yeah, it's almost like he was worried that there was going to be some sort of gap, that the press was going to forget them or something. So there was like, we're doing this project and this company, because he knew that there was a double album coming. Well, and the Hey Jude single. Hey Jude is Paul's. It's one of his masterpieces. They certainly anticipated that Hey Jude Revolution would be a number one and would be high on the charts through the Christmas season. So why did Paul go out and say, oh, well, we've got to at least put out this carrot to our fans? Even though we go, well, yeah, Hey Jude was going to be number one and it was going to be huge. And do you think that there was still that doubt like well the next record may not make it well i i don't I, think that i mean you know maybe uh are people going to sit around for a seven minute song but uh, i don't even think that i mean if that were the case they would have just flipped it and made revolution the a-side right they put it out i mean even though it was seven minutes long they could have just gone okay we'll fade it at four minutes something that they did. capital did many years later Uh, on the number one hits who needs the last three minutes of the beatles biggest single ever yeah well you know capital they're always good for a laugh for the first time ever on a single album 20 number one hits by the beatles yesterday hey The Beatles' 20 greatest hits. An outstanding album value at a special low price. On records and high-quality XDR cassettes from Capitol. So not only did Paul make this announcement on the 14th, two weeks later, Apple actually booked the Royal Albert Hall. I can't explain that. (laughs) The 26th of September... I guess they would have had to put a deposit down or something. and <laughs> Yeah, that, that makes me laugh kind of like, well, you know where to find us. We're on Savile Row. The check is good. Well, I want me money, as the, the fella in <laughs> Get Back said. Right. You know, I, I guess it makes me think there really was no one in charge. I mean, you'd have to ask, well, who booked it? I mean, who was the individual that booked the Albert Hall? Well, I, I, yeah, I don't know where that paperwork is. I'd like to see it. Yeah. Again, maybe Mark will clue us in one of these years. That <laughs> one of these years, one of these decades, even in the Beatles organization, I'm thinking now who would be in charge of booking the Albert Hall or the Roundhouse or. You know, wouldn't be Derek, would it be Mal, would it be Neil? It might have been Neil, or it might have been Brian's brother. Because if he was in charge of the organization for at least a while, I think he was the interim head. Yeah, but I think he was pretty titular head. I don't think he was... Actually doing anything? Very very active, no. Queenie. I don't think so. Queenie, it all went to Queenie. (laughs) I'll tell you boys what you need. You need to play (laughs) at the Royal Albert Hall. (laughs) <laughs> right we got back from the himalayas with Maharishi, they all split and started apple and i got back and it was like a madhouse in fact to this day it's still trying to untangle it but they had some guy throwing the ching every 10 minutes you know oh we're having a business meeting well let's throw the ching you know 
and the place was just full of lunatics and and in fact, we don't know a whole lot about what they were thinking at the time. We do have a quote from John Lennon from his solo years. It's unfortunate that all the publicity came out about doing live shows when it did. We were only thinking about it vaguely, but it kind of got out of hand. Yeah. And George wasn't even in the country. He was in the U.S. Well, this is September. This is while they were finishing the White Album. This is before George left, right? It is before he left, but the plans for when this was going to occur towards the end of the year? Yeah, it was It was always December. I don't think they had ever planned it any earlier than December. And the dates that they booked the Royal Albert Hall for were in December. So I guess they were vaguely thinking a Christmas show, although not like the Beatles Christmas shows of 63 and 64. <laughs> Nothing of the Hammersmith. And I don't think uh, Ringo would be dressing up and throwing snow around. <laughs> As an Eskimo. Yeah. So that may be just the chaos that was at Apple as far as who was in charge, who was booking stuff, who is one would presume that the press was being fed by Derek Taylor. The first time we get any definitive dates was by early November. Some press comes out that state that the Beatles would play three consecutive nights and record a live TV show from December 14th to December 23rd, 1968. Hmm. Now that does match up well with everything we hear in Get Back. That this is kind of what somebody was thinking about. Now who that somebody was, I don't know. Maybe the same person who booked Primrose Hill. I, I don't know. You know, the, the whole thing is just a series of, well, we're going to do that and something is announced and it's falling through. And This pre-stuff is actually equally, if not more chaotic than what was to come in january yeah well i'm not sure exactly when george got back from the united states he was certainly with dylan over the thanksgiving holidays and i guess he'd finished all of his sessions out in la let's see was george at the apple christmas party yeah he had to have been because he's the one who eventually had to throw out the hell's angels oh the memo Hell's Angels will be in London within the next week, on the way to straighten out Czechoslovakia. They will be 12 in number, complete with black leather jackets and motorcycles. They will undoubtedly arrive at Apple, and I have heard they may try to make full use of Apple's facilities. They may look as though they're going to do you in, but are very straight and do good things. <laughs> so don't fear them or uptight them. Try to assist them without neglecting your Apple business and without letting them take control of Saddle Row. The memo was signed George Harrison. Yeah, so that was several days before Christmas. Frisco Pete. <laughs> right. That gives us an idea of when George returned to Apple. Right. That was on December the 23rd of 1968, which is one of the days that they were at one time apparently thinking about doing this live show. <laughs> we can't do a live show. There are Hell's Angels in the building. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> the Beatles could have gotten the Hell's Angels to do security before the Stones got that bright idea. <laughs> Thank goodness <laughs> that didn't happen. Yeah. Continuing the story, and then we'll, we'll start getting into our own separate lists of the possible songs and how we think the concert might have gone. It is mentioned that there were, what, 3,300 standing room only tickets for the Roundhouse. Correct. 
or if you're going to see that it, it was going to be 1700 Yeah. Even people who don't have tickets would show up. For sure. But looking at these numbers, <laughs> I'm thinking, nobody's talked to George. Because <laughs> George is just not into doing that right now. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, you know, again, can you imagine George coming back from this idyllic respite with the band and with Dylan and hanging out at Big Pink right. and, oh, we're doing all this. And then climbing into Beatlemania, because it would have been Beatlemania immediately. You know, maybe the crowd would have given us a little bit better chance to hear the music, but it still would have been Beatlemania. For sure. I mean, it, it was Beatlemania when I saw Paul in 1976. When he played the Cavern a couple years ago, not only did they get people filling the streets around, you had people who actually flew over without tickets on the chance of it happening. Given the amount of preparation time that there was, and the the fact that the announcement was two months earlier, people would have shown up. The streets would have been packed. Security would have been kind of a nightmare. Right. The police wouldn't have been happy. I don't think there would have been the, you know, the constant screams and that sort of thing. But, you know, there was a big turnout just six months earlier when they premiered Yellow Submarine. Yeah, exactly. That's what they were looking at to a degree. And Brian wasn't there. So right. if anything had happened, how are they possibly going to get the security settled? You know, much less everything else. Right. Maybe that was why the Hells Angels came in. No, the Hells Angels came in because they had a mission somewhere in Europe and George said, oh, come on over. Yeah, they're going to straighten it out in Czechoslovakia. That's what I remember. And we're going to charge Apple for shipping our motorcycles over without telling <laughs> you. That's my favorite part of that story is when, when Apple is got it? the bill for shipping on these motorcycles. It's like, oh. It's that whole hippie ethos. You know, <laughs> just kind of, hey, man, somebody will take care of it. Cool. <laughs> so they're going to do this. I don't know what they would have done about security, really. Because things had certainly changed in the three years since they had played before. But that's kind of a practical matter. And I don't know who is in charge, clearly. And I don't know who would have been in charge of security. But we're going to say that all that was taken care of. And now they were going to create a set list for a show showcasing their songs, for the most part, from the White Album. I've got some exceptions to that list. As do I. I mean, and in fact, they kind of said it as well, that they would want to do at least a couple of songs from their past catalog. Right. Well, uh, before we get into that, the biggest change, which would have helped their live performances, the fallback speakers had really just started to come into common use. There were no speakers pointing at them anywhere in the world through 66. Yes. Correct. And so by December of 68, they would not only had a board, they would have been able to actually hear themselves somewhat. Well, you know, they didn't have foldback monitors that get back. That's true as well. So somebody would have had to have been like in charge of sound and somebody in charge of lighting. As we've noted, George Martin was not really happy with them at that time. I mean, you know, he'd helped to get the White Album finished, but he'd also walked out during those sessions. Yeah, I don't think that uh, he would have been really helping with the live show necessarily. So we can move George Martin out of this equation. Would they have gotten Glenn Johns then? 
I mean, Glenn Johns knew about live sound. True, although he's preparing for uh, Rolling Stones. The Rock and Roll Circus. These are all practical problems they would have had to have solved. Yeah, exactly. Again, you start listing these things, it, it becomes obvious why not only was this a bad idea, this was a completely impossible to accomplish idea. We're really only talking about four months. Yeah. You know, the point is, is those problems weren't solved. And so if you were going to do this, you would have had to have solved these problems. So the time frame was totally unworkable. If they were going to go do this, it would have been further down the road. The December 18th through, you can see reflections of this in the proposed get back performances where they still didn't know where they were going to do it or, or how they were going to take it or what people they were going to allow in. Right. Well, you know, one has to wonder, you know, what would have been like if someone said, yes, we are going to play some old songs. So let's pick those old songs and let's rehearse them. Hey, Love Me Do, that's a good one. Paul says, I've got a great piano arrangement of Strawberry Fields. <laughs> and John would have gotten serious about doing help again. Yes. But that's a different show, isn't it? Since we're largely talking about white album songs here. Yes, but I'm just saying nobody is ever was in charge of this. So we're pretending that somebody would have been. It's just looking into the practicalities of this as we move along. It's like, yeah, yeah. well, there's that and there's that and there's that. And then we finally get to, okay, well, let's just pretend that all of this could have been taken care of. Then you got the issue of getting the four guys on the same page, finding rehearsal time before they go on stage and then the actual shows themselves. You also have to remember that a lot of these songs were built in the studio. I mean, some were close to live, your blues, but from the White Album, certainly Glass Onion was stitched together and there were several things. Yeah, that would have been an issue. So, okay, let's go into the set list. You can start off with your first like three or four songs here. Okay. My criteria kind of was they wouldn't have brought an orchestra with them. Certainly in the Get Back film, they have a mindset of they're still the four guys. Billy came in afterwards, but they would have been the band. And so the songs that I chose were songs that could have been played in a, a live setting. Mm-hmm. And I also figured that with the development of concerts, shows they would have seen, that play times would have been longer. So I figured probably an hour. In Get Back, they seem pretty settled on 14 to 16 songs. And the Stones were doing sets of about that length in 1969. So Right. So you'd want to open with something hard-hitting and brash. So the opening song would be Revolution, the single version. Mm-hmm. fast and loud and a real impact, but relatively easy to play uh, as, as a four piece. Nikki's missing, but maybe they would have had a, a spare keyboard player. You look at what they're talking about in some of these articles, and they do talk about sort of bringing up special guests. The the weird one being Andy Williams. Did they talk about that? I mean, I know it was discussed in the press. 
According to Andy Williams, Paul spoke with him about possibly coming on and doing an exchange where the Beatles showed up on his variety show and that he would do a couple songs during the Beatles show. Really? Paul thought he could convince John that that would fly? Engelbert Humperdinck. (laughs) At least John was nice enough to Andy Williams uh, during that Grammy Awards presentation. Paul Simon and John Lennon and Andy Williams. Yeah. Presenting a Grammy Award. Although I think John, under his breath, said something like, is this how Don does it? (laughs) (laughs) But that still has to be one of the weirdest combinations. Yeah. (laughs) Especially when Art Garfunkel comes comes up to accept the uh, Grammys for, of all things, Olivia Newton-John's I Honestly Love You. And Paul Simon says, I thought I told you to wait in the car. (laughs) I just can't imagine go, you know, John thinking, yeah, somewhere between, uh, you know, Sexy Sadie and <laughs> Savoy Truffle, Andy can come up and do a couple of songs. <laughs> and, you know, he's not going to play without an orchestra unless the Beatles back him up. That would be interesting. Anyway, so after Revolution, it cruises right into back in the USSR, which is a also a good rocker, and Paul can scream it out. And listening to the arrangement, it's... Certainly doable. Certainly Ringo could play at this time. And while my guitar gently weeps. John, Paul, George. And again, I think this is a, a song that they could have played. Although no Clapton, again, unless you're going to say, oh, they're, they're bringing on guests. And and in addition to Andy Williams, names that I saw mentioned without any confirmation were Mary Hopkin and James Taylor being Apple artists. Hmm. I don't know. I suppose if they got to the point where they're going to play and play live, you know, it's quite possible that George would have Eric come play. Had Cream started by that point? Yeah, Disraeli Gears has already come out. I think they're actually getting ready to break up. Well, any band Eric's in is getting ready to break up the minute <laughs> he joins it. So, Right. There's a ticking bomb with Eric. That would allow George to play acoustic, uh, Eric playing lead, John playing bass, Paul playing piano. The stage setup you're thinking would be the typical stage setup plus a grand piano and plus maybe one or two other instruments that they could switch around to. Yes, I would say that's right. Uh, And then after guitar, then your blues. Okay, which obviously they did live, and then John would do live again with the Dirty Mac. With the Dirty Mac, right. You know, it's a really good live song. And so those are my first four. The way I kind of approach this is that they would do this show much the manner that they did the White Album, where you've got full-length songs and you've got little interstitials in between some of them. Okay. While it's mostly just the four of them, I could see them bringing on a string quartet or 
other groups of musicians. Nothing major. We're not talking about a full orchestra here. We're not talking about a horn section here. We're talking about a couple of other musicians who would fit on the stage with them. That is how I envision this show. So right off the bat, again, as you say, something loud, something brash. Just a short version of Sgt. Pepper. So they come onto the stage and they do like you just a 30-second, an intro equivalent to the reprise. You know, we're Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. We hope you will enjoy the show. And may I introduce to you the act you've known for all these years. Then they go into back in the USSR. So that's Paul going into Paul. But since Pepper is not a full song, like I say, it's, it's only, you know, 30, 45 seconds of it to just get us into the show, get us get the crowd rocking and getting, getting them into the show. And it goes into back in the USSR pretty well. Then from back in the USSR, I would stay with the album and I would go into Dear Prudence. So going from Paul to John. Oh, you creature of habit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Dear Prudence. Then back to Paul from Dear Prudence into Birthday. Okay, that's a good rocker. Uh, which is you know a very easy live song. Yes. Then into Your Blues. Of the first batch here, we both say that USSR and Your Blues would in that group. Yes, right. In fact, we have Your Blues both as the fourth song. Yes, I'm the fourth ish song because like i said i do have this little pepper intro here right then one more we get the first george song i'd say piggies oh really piggies down a little bit but it's still got some beat to it yeah and george was very fond of the song at the time <laughs> he would have even brought his mom on stage <laughs> yeah the use of a harpsichord would be challenging yeah they would have had to do something i don't think they'd bring a harpsichord player on there maybe a pedal on a guitar yeah you know the lead is on that instrument That's my first bash. Okay. So my next couple of songs, the first one after your blues would be birthday. Same reason as you put it there. It's a good rocking song. It's fun. And it just sounds great. It's a live song.
Happy birthday, Ringo. What a surprise. How great is that? I love you, man. Love you. We all love okay, you, Okay, peace and love. Thank you. The next song would be the use of the piano. It would be Sexy Sadie. I had to really think about having kind of a slow song because that's tough in a, a live show. But I figured that's a, a really good song. John sings it great. Although I'd be afraid that John would slip into the Maharishi version of that. <laughs> Not with George standing there. Well, <laughs> George would have left a couple of weeks earlier than he did, actually. Right. Middle of the show, I don't care. I'll see you around the clubs. Wait a minute, we're in the clubs. And then Paul gets his thing where the papers go, and the Beatles broke up. <laughs> so Sexy Sadie goes right into Savoy Truffle. And I really thought about this one because uh it's got that horn horn lines all through it that's the biggest issue is much like we were saying with piggies it's like that would be kind of hard to replicate Except that I thought that really a lot of those parts could have been a guitar part for John. He could kind of duplicate what those horns do with his guitar. So that's how I mentally got through that one. The next song, which is a surprise, was Get Back. That was kind of worked on early on. And so I stuck that in there. But in December of 68, it didn't exist. Well, that's if it was in December of 68. It could have been the roundhouse in January. If it were mid to late January, they would have had to get back. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking. I, they would be plugging their next single, basically. How many George songs do you have in your list? Three. We're both on the idea that there would have been a fair number of George songs in the set list here. Yeah, for sure. Because halfway through these rehearsals, George would be like, hey, I got some good songs here. Then there's that Dylan medley that they would have stuck in the middle somewhere. <laughs> this is true. Well, maybe we can get Bob to play. <laughs> and we'll really be Sergeant Pepper's only Hearts Club band. <laughs> so what I have after Piggies is I have them going into a little acoustic set. I considered acoustics and I rejected them only because at this date, it's really hard for a big concert, acoustic guitars. But... It's not to say it would be impossible. The Everly's did it. There's always that. Yeah. I do have an acoustic set with one for each of the main singers here. We start off with Julia, you know, John doing his thing. Nice. Great song. Then the acoustic while my guitar gently weeps, which, you know, they always like to throw a little curveball in there. And I think they all always liked the acoustic gently weeps. And, you know, they did put down a version in the studio. For sure. I look from the wings At the play you are staging While my guitar gently weeps As I'm sitting here 
that goes John, and then that goes George, and then Paul gets Blackbird. That's cool. You got three acoustic songs. They're all solo. That's almost Crosby, Stills, and Ness and Young five years earlier. Each one doing a lead, yeah. And then the others doing harmony. Uh, it would be hard to get the singing correct, but I could see them finding a way to get it done. I think he could pull that off. So you'd have John coming out and doing his acoustic Julia, and mm-hmm. then George coming out and doing acoustic guitar, and then Paul doing Blackbird. Although they have to mic his shoe. <laughs> They'll let Ringo tap along. <laughs> That's good. That's the end of the acoustic set that I have here. So the next song after Get Back would be Dear Prudence. Which I had uh, up top, but I mean, you know, that's cool. Right, right. Uh, in my head, they just going from Get Back into Dear Prudence just has a certain thing that I thought was kind of cool. And I think they could definitely pull that off. There's not a whole lot in there that wouldn't sound great with just, you know, John and George on guitars and Paul on bass and Ringo on drums. The exact same lineup that they played all those concerts, and yet the sound would be so different, you know, what they were playing. Oh, so uh, much bigger, too. Yeah, great moment. That song, I would love to just hear that song live with big guitars. and. Well, and it's so much fun to play. Yeah. Although they never actually get back to that during the get back session. <laughs> right. As far as I've heard, the acoustics in the roundhouse were actually really pretty good. Excellent. So after Dear Prudence, you know how it kind of winds down and on the record it fades out. It probably wouldn't fade out live, but if it, you know, kind of, and then you have, and go right into me and my monkey, cowbells and the whole bit. Too early, but maybe they could find a way to project the film in the background. Yeah, that's art. It would fit in with the space. <laughs> exactly. I think that's just be a great live song for the Beatles to do. And then as that finishes up, they go into Helter Skelter. Certainly it could be played with just the four of them. That would be a hard song to play live. Hmm. I don't know. You could do a lot of stuff with loud. <laughs> as we would discover in the ensuing years. <laughs> yeah. Loud and distorted. I think they could pull it off. So let's see. So coming off of Blackbird, then I go back to John. John making it a little funny here. He's going to do I'm So Tired. Because <laughs> they're halfway through. Because they're halfway through and because we had to sit through Paul singing for what seemed like an eternity. <laughs> Some sort of vaguely comic introduction to that effect. Blackbird, huh? <laughs> Which is neither a long song nor a particularly boring song, but John would find a way. <laughs> That's another one that they could perform with just the band, pretty much. Yes. Then from there, I too go into Why Don't We Do It in the Road. So going from, from John to Paul. Okay. Here's where I start to take a little deviation. Um, so uh, there's two ways that this could go. I'm, well, the way I have it is I have George bringing out... Indian musicians and doing the inner light. Hmm. Interesting. Beautiful song. Without going out of your dark, you can know all things on earth. Without looking out of your window, you can know. Father one travels 
the less one knows, the less one really knows. And depending upon the setup time, so either before the inner light or after the inner light, I have uh, Can You Take Me Back? <laughs> the little bridge. Can you take me back where I came from? Can you take me back? Can you take me back where I came from? Brother, can you take me back? Can you take me back? Kind of a time killer. So there's something to listen to while they're getting set up. Ah. And it also fits. So, you know, we've been doing these white album songs. Now we're going to go back a little bit. So, you know, can you take me back? Right. Why don't you just run this all the way to the end? So those two could be in either order. That is then followed by, they bring on a string quartet for Paul to do yesterday. Cool. He doesn't want to have to do it like they did in 66. <laughs> right. And a string quartet. So you got the four Indian musicians and you got a string quartet. It's not a full orchestra. It's something that would be very doable, I think. Yes. Then to close out, they go and do Pepper Reprise. All right. And then that's followed by both sides of the single, Revolution, and you close out with Hey Jude. I mean, you have to close out with Hey Jude. Na 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 na. All the boys sing, all the girls sing. Sorry, Everybody in the house sings. <laughs> Although I, I don't know if Paul would have quite come up with that then, but he might have. I don't know. There's a a definitely feeling about the Beatles about not being that kind of show busy. Paul has certainly developed it as he's gone over, on over the years. But I think that John would have been like, oh, please. Yeah, probably. He even says that they had tried it out for the Wings Over America tour, and it just didn't feel right. Right. <laughs> Regardless, whether or not he does the crowd-pleasing wave your arms bit at the end, it's still, as their most recent hit single, that's the way to end the show. Right. Yeah. That then ends the show, and then you know everyone runs off and drinks wine at the party or smokes or <laughs> whatever else okay after helter skelter another song that was come up with at during the preparation of the show was old brown shoe and so i have them playing old brown shoe because we're going to do several piano songs here That gives George his third and also a nice upbeat tune. 
that bridge is just a great live thing. So after Old Brown Shoe, they go into their old hit, Lady Madonna. So we have both sides of that single in our respective lists. <laughs> right. And that's nice and raucous and would be a familiar song for the audience. I mean, all these are going to be familiar. They all bought off the White Album when it came out. And then they go into Hey Jude. Again, for the same reasons. Right. I mean, that's just the way it, it should be. Now, neither of us have a Ringo vocal. No. I thought about Don't Pass Me By, but I don't know. I do have a perfect opportunity here. We, we extend the acoustic set by one song. So after Blackbird, then you have Ringo doing Goodnight, which then leads into John singing I'm So Tired. Okay. Paul would like that. That's a nice little story. That'd be good. The one thing in, in my show is that they come back and actually do an encore. Were encores that common at the time? Well, they were beginning to. It's the same game that they always played, which is as long as the lights stay down, the audience keeps clapping and the artist comes back out. Artist always knows, you know, that they have an encore prepared. If the lights come up, nobody stays and claps. Everybody goes, oh, okay, the lights came up and we, they leave. Now there's no such thing as a show without at least one encore. True. Now, I don't know whether, you know, you could call it common, but. It wasn't unusual. Okay. After, you know, na 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 and everybody's screaming, and they're in the whole trance thing, and then the four of them come out around a couple of mics, and they do I Will, and after I Will, they finish up with uh, kind of an acoustic version of Opa Di Opa Da. You transpose the acoustic bit just to the end here as the encore. Right. Interesting. And, you know, Obadiah Obadiah has such a sing-along chorus that you can just see the audience kind of getting into it and singing along. And then the Beatles could trip off. It's very clear that they could have put a really pretty good set together from predominantly white album stuff. Yeah, I think so. And we actually don't have that many differences between our two versions. You know, order is a little bit different. Yeah, the choices there are pretty obvious as far as... Songs which don't involve heavy horns or orchestration. I regretted not being able to use Martha, My Dear. Favorite song of mine, you know. Paul still hasn't played Martha My Dear live to this day. Huh. Maybe he forgot it. He's played every other Beatles song, it seems, and he's even played some John and George songs, but for whatever reason, Martha My Dear has just never come back into his set list. Maybe Martha meant too much to him. He doesn't want to diminish her memory. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. I considered uh, Happiness is a Warm Gun. I kind of ended up feeling like the different tones of guitars that are used would make it harder to reproduce. I'm not saying you couldn't, but... Um, and, you know, they might have had a couple more texts than Mal around, but they didn't have an army of texts the way they do these days. Right. You can't just hand off a guitar, say, tune it for the next song and bring it back to me. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that didn't really occur. 
other things that I ended up projecting, John's not going to do revolution number nine. I mean, he might want to, but I mean, how could you reproduce that? <laughs> the Fab Faux do a tremendous live version of revolution number nine, believe it or not. They have actually scored the thing and play it like an orchestral piece. So, you know, each of them has their own little bits and it's not all just a tape. They are using synths, but they have all their bits programmed into the synth and they actually have to play it. Right. I picked up the clarifier and I realized we'll do it next time. I forgot all about it, George. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Yes, you bitch. Number nine, 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 number nine. You might not like Revolution number nine, but you have to admire their dedication. And how close they actually get to the, the album track live. You know, now that wouldn't have been possible in 1968, but. <laughs> right. Just getting Paul to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right and let it be. I'm not learning that. So, and as you said, things that were heavily orchestrated like Glass Onion, that's tough to put on there. Yeah. And, you know, I think we're, we're both staying in roughly the a range time-wise that they'd want to dedicate to a stage show. Yeah, I think so. Two-hour so. shows were still several years off. We didn't even put in Rocky Raccoon. Then you had to deal with the tack piano. <laughs> you know, someone would have to run out and put newspapers into this, <laughs> because we both said, what are you going to have? You're going to have a grand out there. <laughs> right. It all falls apart because of logistics. That's what it amounts to, is that they didn't know what was going on. They weren't really all that interested, other than Paul, of course, who goes off and blabs to the media. <laughs> right. The biggest piece that we ever got about this proposed show was in the December of 68 Beatles book. Which said? It's a fairly long piece. For the purposes of this show, the most interesting thing that they were planning to do was that they were giving 50 free pairs of tickets 100 free tickets to this show they actually put out an ad in there the the same article has Derek taylor saying nobody should write in anymore because we've already received twenty thousand ticket requests <laughs> now again i don't know how real that is but that number had to have come to him from somewhere <laughs> right either that or they were just counting all of the uh, artist submissions <laughs> what is this i don't know it's a, it's a tape of some sort. Well, it must be a ticket request.
full length monthly article talking about, well, the last time they'd been on stage. And this was really when they were firmly in the, we're going to be playing at the roundhouse. We'll get Led Zeppelin to open for us. And Magic Alex even gets a mention. In this article? Anything is possible at Apple, and they've even carried this into the field of big business with Alexis Martis, the very talented Greek inventor who is coming up with the most extraordinary ideas which could well revolutionize whole areas, not only of British show business, but industry as well. You know, the Elon Musk of his day. <laughs> yeah, but Elon Musk built the Tesla. <laughs> oh, okay. Alex would be putting up rockets these days that burn up in the atmosphere. <laughs> Well, you know, in the Get Back film, they were clearly mocking Alex by that point. And that was, what, six months into it? Yeah. So, you know, one thing that could be said about the Beatles as a group is that uh, they recognized con men and then hired them. (laughs) (laughs) They kind of go in with their eyes open. They kind of knew that what he was producing was a joke. Especially what he was presenting in Get Back. The, you know, the the whole reversible neck idea. <laughs> right. And the studio setup. I mean, it, it's kind of amazing that they worked in that building. I mean, that's where they went to, to be Beatles. And that no one ever walked down to that studio and went, what the hell is this? They had been in Savile since July. I mean, was he just then putting in his stuff? In January. When did they actually come up with the idea of putting the studio down in the basement? When did they actually hand it off to him and say, here, go do this? That I don't know. So to bring that back around to the show, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, do um, that. They absolutely needed Brian or someone like Brian to be masterminding what they were going to do. If they had been coming to the end of the wide album, if Brian were still alive and Paul said, you know, Hey, I'd like to do a show. Brian would find a way to make it happen. Yeah. Not only with the band, but with the venue and everything else that would be necessary. The disaster that was the magical mystery tour was only one year earlier. And so what had changed really from then, it actually had sort of gotten more chaotic. So the roundhouse would actually become a venue that, Paul would use later throughout his career. Paul McCartney, live here at the Electric Proms at the Roundhouse in London. Uh, we are here in this uh, esteemed building. It's rich in rock folklore. Uh, the 15th of October 1966, just over 40, uh, 41 years ago, Soft Machine and Pink Floyd did a gig here to launch the uh, underground newspaper International Times. Paul McCartney was here that night as well, dressed according to Peter Jenner in flowing Arab costume. People did that kind of thing in 1966. Uh, Also, Paul McCartney uh, contributed a famous piece of music for a happening here in 1967, a piece of music called Carnival of Light, the only Beatle record never to be released. Uh, It was a sort of 15, 16, maybe even 17-minute freakout uh, that McCartney organized, that the most avant-garde thing they ever did, and that includes Revolution Number 9, never seen the light of day. Don't know if it ever will. So, all right. What did we decide? We decided that they probably could have done a show. It was, And it would be great. <laughs> and it would and, be great. I mean, and, and we'd go. You know, I sit in. I could be one of, the, one of those 100. <laughs> you know, I wonder whether they included all of that in the reprints of Beatles Monthly. They probably did because, uh, you know, through the mid-70s into the early 80s, they actually reprinted 
Beatles monthlies. Yeah. With a new fold over cover. Yeah, I got a lot of those. Yeah, and the reprints were identical to the originals, so it's like, gee, I wonder if the ad and the article made it into the reprint of the December 68. Yes, it did. Oh, okay. That must have been kind of uh, interesting to, to pull up and look at in, sometime in 1981 or so. <laughs> right. Yeah, I I had a whole bunch of originals, and uh, <laughs> this is going to make everybody cry. I had them in a box, and uh, well, I was traveling, and a big glass of orange juice oh. fell into this box. Oh, well. And there really wasn't much that I could do. I was able to save some, but so then when these reprints started coming out, I focused on you grabbed them. them. Oh yeah. As it turns out, the editor for the new sections was Mark Lewison. This was before Shout, before we really knew who Mark Lewison was, when he was the Beatle brain of Britain, and that's all he was. That's all he was, yeah. So sad. Can't wait for his new book. Nowadays, you can find people have scanned in pretty much all the issues, but Apple really needs to make those available in some form. If nothing else, they really just need to put them up on the Beatles website. You have to figure that there are tons of pictures that are out there. And I see them on the internet now and again. But, um, you know, pictures of the Beatles' homes and events. And there were things that were printed in the magazine. But sure, the proof sheets have all sorts of photographs that would be interesting and never before seen. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if Johnny Dean still has all of those. He printed some of them. There was a Best of the Beatles monthly book which is a really nice book, which came out, oh, five, ten years ago. And I've got that. And like I say, I've got, I've got digital copies of all of them. I've got, a, I've got a handful of originals and the reprints, but I don't have, like, half the set. Yeah, yeah. It's really pretty cool and something people shouldn't look for if, if they get the time and the money to buy such things. Right. <laughs> all right, so, well... We've, we've meandered. Mostly we've talked about this uh, this wide album show, but that's cool. We're, like I say, we're, we're trying to wean ourselves off and get back. Yeah, we didn't quite do it because we kept going back to it. But we will. We will. It's just, you we know, will. We can't, we can't go cold turkey. <laughs> then we're back in to get back because, well, Ken Womack will be with us. All right. Right. Okay. We'll come up with something. All right. We'll talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we can be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Feaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
Goodbye, Jojo.
I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Mm -hmm.